Video Game The Movie The Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to this bonus episode of Video Game The Movie The Podcast. I sound like a sexy radio person for no apparent reason today. My name is Mackenzie Eastrom. <laughs> And my name is Nathan Eastrom. And my name is Lexi Not Eastrom. So I said up front, it's a bonus episode. We have gotten from the era of video game movies where people were actually trying into the Uve Bowl era, where nobody's trying and everything is pain. So we're going to be using regular <laughs> bonus episodes probably to just survive the horror. <laughs> it's really painful. And this movie was... Definitely a good change. Yes. So this one's a bit of a weird pick, honestly, but we have like a list of things that are video game adjacent. And this is the one that Lexi selected from the like short list we had provided. So why don't you introduce it? Uh, yeah, we watched the weird exploitation film that Daniel Radcliffe starred in called Guns Akimbo. Hey, I'm Miles. Watch it, asshole. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a hero. But instead, I grew up to be a nobody. Another schism. Schism. Schism, schism picked random weirdos and made them fight to the death. And the internet loved it. Nick's wins. Hey, I'm Nick. I love you. Coming. Uh, I think you have the wrong... Whoa, who are you? Look, this is gonna sound really fucking weird, but can you help me? I have guns bolted to my hands. Yeah, you're right. That does sound pretty fucking weird. You have 24 hours to kill Nix. You fail, you die. You leave the city, you die. What the fuck is Nix? It's shooting. Anything to do with this. These guys came to my house last night. They're making me fight. But I have a plan. Go on. You can stop trying to kill me. And kill Schism. You in? Um. No. Here's what we'll do relax and stop running! Mistakes were made. Ah! Ten million viewers, you have made history. I never wanted any of this. Fuck! It's over. It's not over till I say it's over. I wouldn't do that if I was you. You'll just end up blowing your damn face off. Then you'll still be depressed. Even more depressed, probably, because of your fucked up face. And part of the reason I chose this from the short list was because I just love that Daniel Radcliffe grew up playing the, you know, one of the most iconic characters of our generation and grew into just being an absolute bullshit. <laughs> he just does what he wants. And I respect that. Honestly, I love his career. It's amazing. Hmm, I was a boy wizard for like... Mm. 
17 years. I guess I'll just go be in a naked horse show now. I guess I'll just go be a corpse. I guess I'll go be in a movie where guns get bolted to my hands. I guess I'll play a character in a grounded drama who grows horns and a tail and has to deal with people thinking he's the devil. I guess I'll be in like a weird TBS comedy, dark comedy, where I'm a useless prince, maybe apprenticed to a ditch digger or a wizard. We stand Daniel Radcliffe on this show, apparently. <laughs> we do. Uh, before, yeah. before we get too far into this movie there is something i want to address up front which is relates to the director of this movie he's a piece of shit mm. yeah uh <laughs> yeah. i, I want to talk about this up front before we just get into the movie because i think it's important to address this kind of thing when it happens uh so this movie premiered at tiff uh, in 2019 uh, which is where we saw it originally, which was neat. We got to see it me and, kind of me and Nate, on not the Lexi. premiere. Uh, yeah. Hold on. This was only 2019. Yeah, it's very yeah. recent. It only released in theaters in February. Uh, oh, but- this year is <laughs> has drawn so long. I thought this came out like <laughs> five years ago. Well, the public yeah. appearance of this movie was long before it actually premiered, uh, but we'll get into oh. that later. Let's get back to the... Okay. Uh, so after it premiered at TIFF, but before it had been picked up to be distributed in theaters there was a film writer and editor at the publication much ado about cinema there was an internal chat document that got uh leaked that showed her using the n-word in a joke and she was not black so a lot of her colleagues started to openly criticize her for saying this and Eventually, it led to a mass resignation from Much Ado About Cinema in protest of her using this word. And this made the rounds on film Twitter. It became a topic of conversation among other critics, a lot of whom used their platforms to call this writer out. And Rightfully so. Rightfully so, (laughs) yes. They were well within their rights to do so. This led to the original writer... Uh, posting a apology video that I have not seen. I don't know the tone or sincerity of it, but it ended with her indicating that she was going to make a suicide attempt as a result of all of this criticism that she had been getting. She did get help. Some personal friends intervened, got her to a hospital, contacted the authorities. She was, as far as I know, she's fine. Uh, But after all of this went down, the director of Guns Akimbo took to Twitter to call the people that were criticizing this original writer cyberbullies and attempted murderers. And he specifically directed his harassment at two women who came out uh, to criticize this original writer. And I just want to point out there were a lot of other people in this group of critics of this original conversation who were men but they did not receive any of this harassment from the director and after a while he ended up closing his personal twitter account but then started using the movie's official account to continue this campaign and he actually released the uh names and i think email addresses of a couple of the people that he was targeting so he kind of doxed some people yes he definitely yikes 
at the very least, he directed harassment from his fans towards specific people online. And he eventually did release an apology talking about how the reason that this was so in such an intense thing for him was because his mother committed suicide after a period of extensive bullying, and it's something that he feels very strongly about. I don't know the if there's any truth to that or if to what really degree matters. there is or if it really matters. Uh, he did use his platform to direct harassment at marginalized people, and that is really shitty. Yeah. The movie is was eventually released. Uh, it got picked up by Saban Films. Which, which is, is a weird call. Interesting. And yeah, uh, we watched it. So take what we say when we talk about this movie in positive terms, knowing that the person who directed it is problematic. And but we recognize that. Yes. We just, yeah, I wanted to get up front and state all of that just so that like, we are aware of the problematic elements behind this movie, and we don't want people to think that we're taking that lightly. Uh, and now we can continue with the show. Okay. So moving on from that, where do we want to start on the actual film? Uh, uh, I guess we usually do a like quick plot breakdown. Uh, I think Lexi did that kinda hard, last but yeah. time. So I can, I can take it. Nate's turn. All right. All right, so Guns Akimbo is the story of a code monkey named Miles Lee Harris who has a shitty life working for a mobile game development company, and he gets his uh, thrills by going online and attracting trolls to like direct their hatred at him by like baiting them online in forums. He gets access to the forum to an online live stream real world death match called schism uh which draws the attention of the administrator who is a career criminal named richter who runs the whole operation seeing him on the forum richter decides to put him in the game which involves choosing two people and forcing them to kill one another in order to make it to the next match or survive to like be free whatever the deal they make with him is richter and his goons break into miles's apartment they knock him unconscious and they bolt two pistols to his hands and they tell him that he has 24 hours to kill his opponent who is the reigning schism champion a absolute psychopath named Nix who has just been murdering her way through the roster who everybody who watches Schism absolutely loves. She is the top player in the game. He tries to go to the police but he has guns bolted to his hands so they don't react very well to him trying to get their attention. Uh, so he runs from them. He eventually meets up with his ex-girlfriend named Nova uh, who also runs away from him when he attempts to explain what's going on because again he has guns bolted to his hands. <laughs> she goes to the police and one of the officers that she talks to has been tracing Nix for years and thinks that he can use her to get to Nix. Uh, Miles goes through a number of very challenging, harrowing encounters with Nix. Uh, Nova gets kidnapped by Richter because Miles isn't doing what he wants. So 
Miles concocts a plan by making a deal with Nyx to get into Schism's headquarters and rescue Nova. They stage a scene for the drones where Miles gets shot. Uh, Schism goons come to pick up his body because Richter wants to see it. This leads Nyx to the hideout and Miles busts out and together they take down all of the goons Nyx does a noble self-sacrifice as her last act on this earth to clear the way for Miles to get to Richter, who is trying to escape. They have a very gruesome showdown on the rooftop where Richter ends up getting tossed off the roof of the building, and then he discovers that Schism is trying to spread all over the world, so he, after recovering in the hospital, he dedicates himself to being a vigilante, rooting out Schism all around the world. And Nova starts writing a comic book where he is the hero. It's also probably worth noting, if we're getting into the details, that uh, the reason Nyx agrees to join in the first place is because Richter was responsible for killing her, her mother and her brother, but her dad who was a cop, survived, and that's the cop who had been chasing her down. <laughs> guns Akimbo is a movie where Daniel Radcliffe gets guns bolted to his hand and has to compete in an online death match against a crazy lady. Chaos ensues. We should discuss why the heck this is on our video game podcast. Yes, we absolutely should. Uh, yeah, so this movie is on our video game podcast because it takes a lot of tropes from video games and a lot of cues from video games. It has a lot of augmented reality elements with they added texts into the air sometimes they have like power-up noises when they miles yeah when they do drugs or in the case of miles takes a hit from his inhaler because he has asthma but it also they do a lot of very specific things that are very video gamey but the whole thing is streamed live on what is basically twitch which is a a streaming platform where gamers stream things. So it's all like chat rooms. We see these audience members watching the game. There's a line when Miles fake dies where this like these four like a really probably super gay, mostly <laughs> naked buff dudes are like watching and they're so sad about it. And then he's like, it's just a game, man. It's just a game. And I'm sitting here like, no, it's not. <laughs> but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, they have, I mean, he has ammo counters on his guns. He's got like 50 shots in each hand. Every, everything about it feels like a video game from fight scene to how the bosses are presented. Because the the villains of the show are com are like comically evil and themed. And they show up in the form of basically mini bosses. What I ended up calling it at the end of our view or partway through was it is exploitation Scott Pilgrim. It yes. is if you took the like video game style framing of the Scott Pilgrim movie and put it into an exploitation like kind of grindhousey movie. Uh, it is it is along the lines of a lot of other deathmatch type things, but it's definitely taking its inspiration from video games as opposed to like battle royale. It's got a little bit in common with the movie Nerve, which was 
has a similar theme to it, but instead of the live deathmatch, it's people doing challenges for to like compete for views. That sounds like more fun and a more real reasonable thing. It's not that it's, much more reasonable at the end of the day, but it's actually a kind of interesting movie. Uh, but yeah, it's it's all of that. It's the structure. It's the style of it. But it, it also deliberately drops references to video games. Uh, at one point, somebody describes the villain as looking like a character from Streets of Rage. Um, yeah. Miles is a coder for a gaming company, and he plays video games a lot in the early portion of the movie it's clearly using video games as a direct influence on the things that it is interested in showing and talking about as a film and as we find on this podcast video game movies that are inspired by video games but not based on video games tend to be better movies (laughs) by and large this is unfortunate, but like right now it's the truth. So is there anything we want to start on specifically? Cinematography. Yes. So this this movie's of- cinematography is absolutely phenomenal. Yes. I was like, I'm I'm honestly like here I am on this movie podcast. I'm not actually a film buff, but I was drooling over the cinematography. They're doing spin like they're following somersaults with the cameras where they spin they're doing a lot of camera rolls but they make sense they really work it's like whereas Uwe, if it was Uwe. done by <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah if, exactly. it's like you take uve bulls you take the ideas that uve bull could have had and make them good yeah it's a really well shot movie and really interestingly shot and that's part of the the frenetic energy of the camera is really part of what makes this movie something special and this movie has like kind of a dipshit premise and like is (laughs) is genuinely kind of stupid and it knows that and it makes it really worthwhile to watch regardless yeah, for a movie that's super gory, lot a lot of murder it's kind of campy yeah, it, mm-hmm. that's the exploitation cinema, which you've said you okay. don't really know what that means. Essentially, it means so intentionally like gory or sex-filled that it's like not even, it doesn't even register anymore, kind of. So like mm. me and Nathan watched Death Race 2000 recently, where like the whole thing is car race of death and also like every woman has her shirt off at some point in time, except for the 60-year-old one. Uh. Like, okay. this movie doesn't have the sexual exploitation, but it is grindhouse on the violence level. Oh, yeah. 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 But yes, the cinematography is awesome in this movie. Nathan, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. The camera work in this movie is excellent. There's uh, a lot of attention paid to the way the motion of the camera affects like where you're looking in the shots. Um, it uses a lot of very stylish transitional shots. Like uh, it, it does the Edgar Wright style thing where when a character needs to be doing something kind of mundane, it'll go through this series of like very quick close up insert shots of someone doing something. And then it'll often use that rhythm and interrupt it for comic effect. Like there are multiple <laughs> times throughout the movie where Daniel Radcliffe will be trying to accomplish something very simple. And then <laughs> just as he's about to do something, he'll realize oh, right, I have guns bolted to my hands, and it'll just, like, everything will slow to a halt, and it'll just be this 
funny, awkward moment of him just trying to like open a doorknob. <laughs> it's very punchy. Like yes. there's a lot of punch-ins yeah. and they're used to really good effect. We saw this at Mad uh, Midnight Madness at TIFF in 2019 when me and Nathan lived in Toronto. And it was like a really great, we just lined up for it because it was the only thing that we still tickets for, but it was a really great time. Um, seeing this on the big screen definitely was great. Uh, it's a shame it never really got its theatrical run. Uh, I also want to talk, we've talked about how great Danny Radcliffe is. I want to talk about Samara Weaving. Yes. Samara mm. Weaving is a newer actress on the field. She's been kind of doing work since like 2016-ish. Um, the thing that most recently she did that people would know her for is that she's uh, one of the daughters in Bill and Ted 3. Uh, I have no idea what that is. So Bill and Ted... Bill and Ted face the music. Is a, Bill and Ted, the first couple movies were like 90s classics with um, Keanu Reeves in the one of the two leading roles. Uh, Keanu Reeves okay. and Alex Winter. Yes. Uh, the, the basic idea is it's like two coded stoner friends real, learn that they are the like saviors of the future, so they have to go on a quest through time to make sure they pass a history test. That's the premise of the first one. In the second one, they die. But then yeah. they beat death at some like games, so they get out. In the third one, they okay. still haven't done the thing they're supposed to do to become the saviors of the future. And so they go on an adventure and their daughters go on a parallel adventure to like help them succeed. And Samara Weaving is one of the two daughters. She plays a stoner really well. She plays everything really well because the other movie I've seen her in is Ready or Not. And that movie kicks ass. Yes. Ready or Not is the, uh, I think also 2019? Uh, I believe so, yeah. 2019 horror movie about a bride who is marrying into like a very rich family, and it turns out, oops, they do uh, hunting people for sport hide and seek. Oh. Because they made a deal with Satan. Literally. Great. It's a real good time. Anyways, Samara Weaving is like kind of new, but she's excellent in everything I've ever seen her in, and I'm super jazzed to see more of her. Yeah, she is fantastic. Yeah. I think that she is well on her way to becoming a, just a genuine star. The only thing I can think of holding her back is that she does look almost exactly like Margot Robbie. Yeah. Um, Which you think wouldn't hold you back, but I don't know how much room we have for Margot Robbie's. Okay. <laughs> Again, but, not actually that deep in the film. <laughs> Margot Robbie is hardly Here playing. we are. <clears throat> oh, gotcha. Yeah. But uh, she plays Nyx in this movie, and she does a fantastic She's job. Uh, I mean, Nyx is terrifying, and I mean... Nyx is kind of hot. Yeah. <laughs> in a weird way, uh, because, again, she is genuinely very scary. Um, She's very, very murderous. Like, very murdery. She pulls a minigun out on, like some gangs at one point and she's like laughing the whole time and just saying like really i guess sexual and angry things while just like firing at them wearing sunglasses on a pile of burning cars in the middle of the night it's kind of incredible yeah she, she's very over the top uh one of the things that i like about nix as a character is that uh, despite how like cartoonishly violent and over the top and extreme she is, she has a specific trauma trigger that comes up throughout the movie that the movie treats very seriously, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting. You get this moment where in one of the sh early shootouts between her and Miles, where 
uh, a fire starts, there's like a small explosion and she just like stops in her tracks. And it's this moment of like, oh, there's more going on to this character than just being a force of nature that is like violently shooting her way across the city. There is like other things going on internally. And that gets to develop a little bit over time as we learn more of her motivations. And that's really interesting. Honestly, it's wherever Mm -hmm. we get a woman whose motivation is my dead family. Yeah, (laughs) it's a bit of a subversion that way. You don't often see that applied to uh, female characters. She was also like in an insane asylum for 13 years and like recently broke out and is just going hog because like, what else are you going to do? Really? The mental health system, even in New Zealand, can't be that good. Oh, yeah. It's the other thing. This movie shot in New Zealand. Is it's is it actually production. set in New Zealand? No, no, it's it's set in the. Uh, this is another maybe video game related thing. It's set in the fictional U.S. city of Shrapnel City. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the U.S. mental the health si- system is definitely not good enough to help her out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then, do we want to talk about Miles? Yeah, Miles is pathetic. We, yeah, that's kind of his. He starts off really pathetic. Level one. No, no abilities, in fact, less than any abilities because he can't pick up his phone or put on pants because he has guns strapped to his hands, bolted to his hands, not strapped. They are very, very bolted in every way. Uh, they did some but, hard they, What was it? They did some uh, Home he, Depot supplies. They went to all Home Depot. Yeah. 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 But his he actually he has quite the character arc where I mean he he's like vegan and he doesn't want to add suffering to the world, which, you know, completely reasonable thing. But he meets this homeless guy who is one of my other favorite characters in the entire movie. But uh the this guy kind of teaches him how to not so much like do things, but he help he helps dress him and gives him a hot dog, an eight month old hot dog, while saying, you know, it's all well and good to not want to face violence, but when it faces you, uh, you need to be ready. This and is- that that message kind of sticks with him throughout the movie until he's just able to just like one shot goons left and right. It's a it's a film arc about somebody taking responsibility for not just not being the problem, but getting rid of the problem. Yeah, which is because the people that important. he he never like hurts norm like innocent people. The people that they're shooting in this movie are absolutely the worst kind of people. They're he, running the murder show. He he goes out of his way to not hurt people. Uh, yeah, and, and that's something that never really changes. It's like just after or just before. I don't remember when it happens, but around the time he meets this uh, homeless character whose name is Glenjamin, which is amazing. Uh, <laughs> he accidentally shoots a cop because the cop tasers him in an alley and he instead of just running away, he takes the time to, like, stop and check that the cop is not dead, and he, like, helps roll him over and, like, places his hand over the wound, and he's like, just put some pressure on that. Somebody's gonna be here soon. You're gonna be okay. And then he runs off. (laughs) And, like, that's kind of the attitude he has that, like, he's not going out of his way to hurt people unless they are directly aggressing against him. 
And even yeah. then, he doesn't actually want to kill Nyx because he he figures out that there's more going on there and that she is just a cog in the machine at this point. The first moment that we see Nyx's trauma uh, is an extremely good moment where he could you know, just take her out. But he sees that, like, she is literally crying, staring at this fire, and he just books it. He's just like, I'm out. I don't need to do this. Just bye. Um, mm-hmm. But he is also, at the beginning of the movie, and throughout most of the movie, the kind of person who will try to avoid any responsibility at any cost, including having completely fucked up his previous relationships because of that. Uh, yeah. Which, I guess we should discuss Nova a little bit. I love her hair. She's yeah. real pretty here. <laughs> She's really pretty. Yeah. Nova is not in the movie for a long amount of time, but she is important to Miles's motivation. Uh, she is his ex-girlfriend who we get some flashbacks with over the course of the movie, who is a illustrator who is looking for a character to start a comic book series about. And you get the sense that she is the one thing that is kind of keeping Miles sane in his like everyday life because when we meet him at the beginning of the movie she is like they've already broken up and miles has gone into like full like pathetic lonely bachelor mode and he's like looking at pictures of her on instagram and trying to like not be a creep about it but then he like accidentally likes one of them and she gives sends him a message it's like it's that kind of thing where it's like they clearly cared about each other, but it clearly wasn't going to work out in the long term. And she was the more mature one. So she ended it. Like it might have worked out if Miles weren't such a piece of shit, but Miles is a piece of shit. So yeah, he's not a piece of shit. He's just a pathetic dumb shit. Okay, yes, he's he's pathetic. He's not like a bad dude in the like sense that he seems like he was cruel or abusive or anything. He's just like, he's just pathetic. Pathetic is the right word. Nova, however, is like clearly smart and capable and uh done with his whininess and inability to like do things for himself and that's fair and that's fair uh i she does fall prey to the pretty typical kidnapped girlfriend kind of tropes but i think she has enough of her own personality and a sense of what's going on that she's not just a sexy lamp yeah, and she does yeah. go out of her way uh, at the end of the movie to provide clues as to where she's being taken and things like that. Like, she's not completely passive. She does what she has the power to do when she can. She goes to the cops. Yeah. She intentionally defends his, like, personality. She's trying very hard to, like, do the right thing. She gets captured. She does, like, as soon as the villain's grip is loosened on her, try to, like, fucking kick him and get out of there. So, I mean, good for her. Uh, yeah, it's not like she doesn't do anything. She draws on a wall, like, kind of surreptitiously when the villain is distracted to, like, hey, I'm on the roof. Go to the roof. I don't want to die. Yeah, she doesn't want to die. Not in that many words. And, and to this movie's credit, it as, and it like points this out directly in the text that it's not a movie where at the end after the bad guy gets killed the hero gets the girl and they go right off into the sunset and live happily ever ever after like it goes out of its way to be like no when you are witness to that kind of violence it does traumatize you and nova didn't want anything to do with me after that day so it it, it at least acknowledges 
the uh, the problematic elements of the stories that it is inspired by. They, mm. they do a very Scott Pilgrim, like everything's rosy and flowery and they like get up and kiss each other. But then it's like he's hallucinating as his organs shut down. Yeah. <laughs> and she actually has massive PTSD. It turns out when you see your ex-boyfriend pistol whip a guy, it doesn't give you a raging lady boner. It gives you PTSD. Yep. <laughs> to quote the movie. And he it previously Miles says that she's not an Xbox achievement for him to get. Like, again, video game language. But also the movie is aware of the tropes it's playing with. I mm-hmm. don't think it its meta-ness necessarily is like a cure to the fact that it's playing with these tropes, but like it it's at least aware. And I don't think it's like a terrible version of them. And really, if you're going to be a video game movie, you kind of have to have a damsel in distress, don't you? That's how most yeah. early video games worked especially yeah. the kind of beat em up style things that this is clearly inspired by yeah so um anything else about nova or should we move on to glenjamin glenjamin <laughs> <laughs> played by reese darby who is one of the most fantastic comedic actors who have ever come out of new zealand he's amazing He's not an important character, but he's kind of like the Ron of this movie, even though the movie is good. It's just, I just like him. He's just yeah, really no, he, likable. He, he's basically just in the one scene where they first have that meeting, but then we see cutbacks to him as he's like watching or listening to the the race, and he's like very stoically rooting for Miles. And and just like approval, it's he's like Miles's surrogate dad <laughs> for the movie. And at the very end of the movie, actually, uh, he what uh, Miles as he's driving away refers to him as a very well. He implies that to refer to this homeless guy as a very wise man. Yes, he, <laughs> he is the the classic. A uh, wise old man character, just you know, a homeless guy in an alley who helps him put on his pants and does a lot of cocaine and makes a point like, "What you think I because I'm homeless, you assume that I can't do like I don't know anything about GPS tracking. I could have been, uh, I maybe I'm a STEM former STEM. I don't know. He rattles off some stuff about like I could have been. Maybe I used to be a programmer, and he's like, you know, that that's fair. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean it like that, and he's. Are you? Do do you know anything about GPS tracking? He's like, no, I just get high on cocaine every all day. <laughs> no, I'm like, just oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, there there is an argument to be made that this character kind of falls prey to the like magical homeless person trope, but mm. I don't know if it really does because he doesn't do anything that is all that like extraordinary he doesn't really give him any sage advice or anything like that he just kind of helps him out (laughs) and then he tells him to stop being such a wuss yeah yeah so we should get to the actual third most important character in the movie richter who does look like some kind of shriveled streets of rage character uh completely shaven head just tattoos everywhere yeah so Richter is the head of Schism. He's kind of the director figure of the whole live stream. Um, and he's also the man who killed Nix's family. Uh, 
as revenge for getting arrested, uh, he he got busted by Nix's father, who is a police officer. And in revenge, when he gets out of jail, he plants a bomb in their van and everyone except for Nix and her dad die in the fire. Uh, and then Richter goes from there to forming schism and basically meeting out his like psychopathic fantasies onto other people. Because he really enjoys murder he as is, an art. He is very yeah. over the top. He's like, murder is an art. This one is, I think he says, like, he he kills a cop on, he, like, pulls out his phone, shoots a guy in the head, and, like, is all excited about the blood spatter. It's just like, oh, boy. Yeah, he's... What if you didn't? <laughs> he's a flamboyant character. He radiates between kind of just, like, typical gangster stuff and, like, straight-up crazy pants stuff. Uh, I don't think he's the strongest element of the movie, but I think he works for what his his role is in the film. Yeah, he's he's almost a satire of like a tourist directors. There's a scene <laughs> early on where uh, th- the whole schism live stream is run from this warehouse headquarters that he has. And there's this big setup with a bunch of monitors that show all of the drones that they have active. And there's a guy who is operating all of these in real time who wants to switch to a different camera because miles has crawled into a donation bin to hide from the cops and nothing's happening and richter's like no stay on miles and the guy starts arguing with him and he says let me do my job i'm the director here and then richter just shoots him and takes over he strangles him, actually. Oh, yeah, he strangles him. He, and he wants to get it on camera, but then, like, these other people are... This, there's this other guy who's, like, really struggling with the camera on his phone, and just... Yeah. It doesn't actually happen. And he's just like, get this on camera. No, come on, get this on camera. He's just like, it's on panorama. How do I get it on off panorama? Swipe left. Yeah, it's... <laughs> it's <just> like... Uh... <laughs> I do also appreciate any movie that takes a second to, like, deal with the fact that nobody ever opens a camera phone as quickly as, like, have you ever used the camera on your phone that easily as they do in movies? Mine takes, mine takes forever. It's, it's almost such always a pain. facing the wrong way, and then you have to, like, make sure the settings are right. Mine has, like, 18 different modes. Like, it's a pain in the ass. Mine doesn't, like, my, I have a kind of an old phone, so I will press it, and I'll wait, like, five seconds, and my phone may or may not have decided to op- start opening it so i'll click it again and then it'll open and then it'll close because i've pressed the close input and it's just like fighting with this for the next like 15 20 seconds so yeah i'm glad that's not just me the movie does have its little moments of genuine humanity uh also there's a series of goons uh the most interesting of which i think is fuckface <laughs> old fuckface old fuckface who is just like a literally faceless goon because he wears like a horse gimp mask the whole time. Um, he doesn't have a character. I just think that he's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, they kind of suggested that he's a character. But it's just like uh, you don't want old old fuckface to take off his mask. You won't like what you see. And we don't get anything else other than that. He's like the final mini boss, and, but he blows up in an explosion. There's a running joke where. 
in these conversations, he'll occasionally try and say something, but the mask obscures what he says, so you can't understand him at all. It's just like, they'll be talking about something, and it'll cut to him, and he'll just mumble for a couple seconds, and then everyone will continue on like nothing happened. (laughs) The other two major goons are... um... Beardy man. I I don't know if they have names. I'm just going to refer to them by how they like Beardy man, who's like your pretty typical, like mean, but kind of dumb goon type. And then very stylish black woman with two cool guns. Uh, Nix and her have a conversation about their like sidearms. And if she does have a name, that means this movie passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> uh, they have names. I think she is Ruby. Ruby tracks. That makes sense. Um, and Clive. Let's talk about- Clive has a hammer. Yes, Clive has a hammer. Clive is Clive is a very old-fashioned, hit-you-with-the-hammer kind of guy. Uh, do we want to talk about just like any moments in this film? You know, experiences yeah. we had while watching it, besides the cinematography, because we already talked about that. I mean, I really appreciate the way this movie uses lighting. It, it kind of does that thing that video games do, where they color code different levels- this movie kind of accomplishes that with the like stylization of its lighting. So there are sequences that take place in some areas where they are constantly favoring this very bright kind of bluish sort of moonlight lighting. There, the final showdown is in this like red lit warehouse where everything is kind of washed in these like reds and oranges. Uh, it, it's a really good looking movie in that regard. Like they clearly put a lot of attention to detail into like how they wanted to light different environments and what they wanted that to to like feel like and to give things a sense of like place and character. Yeah, it also has a fair amount of uh, by lighting. Uh, by which I mean the like extremes of pink, blue, and purple just being like in the oh. the like sequences. Uh, I like my by lighting. It's kind of a thing in these more like uh, edgy or like extreme movies. It's also like a thing that's done a lot in Atomic Blonde. If you're shooting a lot indoors and it's supposed to be kind of violent, I guess just using pink lights is a thing people enjoy doing now. Uh, I like it. It's just an aesthetic trend. I don't mind. <laughs> Uh, uh, oh, the soundtrack is also really good. Oh, yeah, good. the soundtrack slaps. Mm, yeah. Uh, they use a lot yeah, of I... famous pop music, but most of them are covers, uh, which is an interesting choice. It, they're, they're very, like, punchy. Um, they, they give a lot of momentum to the movie that works well with the frenetic camera. It's essentially Nick gets a playlist of, like, cool songs to murder by. Yeah. Yeah. There are some very video gamey scenes that come to mind there's one where they're driving they're having a car chase and because miles is driving with guns bolted to his hands he's not driving very well and so he's like in the wrong lane and driving down the middle of the street and it as he's being chased by nicks on a motorcycle and it feels very much how you drive in a video game if you've ever driven in a video game you're not good at it (laughs) If the game is not, like, specifically designed as, like, this is a driving game, because you can't see traffic lights in video games very well. They're very small. You don't care about lanes, because no one's going to come after you. You might bump into a car, and Miles does at some point. He just, like, slides against a random car. It's totally unimportant. But it's just, like, he's driving (laughs) down the road. It's terrible. (laughs) 
I mean, there's a great moment where during that chase, the way it ends is he collides head on with an oncoming car and he flies through the windshield into the backseat of the other car and then crawls out the side door. (laughs) Which is very GTA. Yeah, it's... This movie pulls from basically any hyper-violent video game. It feels very video gamey in a way that is pleasant. Uh, it's mm-hmm. I really enjoy this movie, even though it's it's like incredibly gory and like objectively kind of stupid and over the top, and it's it's like far from the most emotionally moving thing I've ever seen. It's just a good time. It's yeah. a good time. It's a silly good time, and Daniel Radcliffe is fantastic in it, and he. I I think we should mention that even if you haven't seen or heard of this movie, you probably have seen images from it. And the movie Mm -hmm. references this, actually. Sometime early in the filming of this uh, movie, a, like, I don't know if it was a photo or a screenshot of Daniel Radcliffe in an early costume got, like, really viral on the internet. It is an image of Daniel Radcliffe in a bathrobe, no pants, and slippers looking just like crazed and pathetic and nobody and a bit horrified a bit horrified nobody has context for this image at the time besides i i think the fact that it was for a shoot probably was around but it was it became very quickly mimified you've probably seen this image of daniel radcliffe around it was of i think a similar like popularity to sad keanu for a little while um (laughs) And it took long enough, this movie, I guess, took long enough in production that they have a scene referencing the memification of that image in the movie. Yeah, they literally scroll through Twitter in the movie uh, because this lady that he's asked to track his girlfriend's phone re- recognizes him from as Guns Akimbo dude. And it, there's like drawings of him, which I had seen previously on as like a meme and it's just various shots of him with guns akimbo uh <laughs> looking horrified as they scroll twitter and she's like look at look you're all over the internet <laughs> it's like um this is horrible i'm pretty sure one of the images they scroll by is someone with a tattoo of daniel radcliffe in this shot um yeah oh, it's, wow. it's very good it's a it's an image that captures a very specific emotional and mental state that i think a lot of people can relate to in this year of our lord 2020 <laughs> yeah. and it is i think a testament to how good the costuming and danny radcliffe's performance is that the image went viral with the exact same like emotional tone and like reading that it was supposed to have in the movie like with zero context of the narrative everybody got the vibe of that <laughs> image perfectly and i think that says good things about the performance and the costuming that everybody immediately was like oh this man is unhinged <laughs> Um, I enjoyed seeing the context for that. I, I, I kind of vaguely remember watching it in theaters and being like, oh, that's where that's from. There is a certain joy to seeing a meme in its natural habitat. <laughs> it reminds me, we're intending to watch Predator at some point in time, and I've never seen the source for that handshake meme. <laughs> Uh, wait what the 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 what is the handshake wait. meme with the big like black hand and the big like buff white hand and they're like Ur. yeah that one that's from predator 
It's from Predator. Yeah, it's it's Carl Weathers and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is off topic. I sometimes okay, we, yeah. <laughs> sometimes when movies are good, we can't pay attention because the movie is good. We don't have much to complain about. But I yeah, yeah I just enjoyed this there, movie. There's a really good moment with Nix when she's fighting the hammer guy, and eventually, after getting beat the heck up with a hammer in a very like Street Fighter. Not Street Fighter, like a fighting game style where she's just like been hit in the head with a hammer like eight times. Uh, It's fine. She's fine. She gets a hammer of her own and she stands up tall and there's this uh, swell of music as she shouts in a reverb in like with a reverb on it. I have the power. And it's like this is literally just a he-man reference you are there is nothing no two ways about it you are referencing he-man and then she beats him up (laughs) yeah i'm there's a lot of good moments like this oh another another comment on the camera work as it relates to video games is that there are a couple of scenes like that where characters are fighting like by hand or with like melee weapons where the camera will do that uh shift to the side and shoot portions of the fight in like 2d kind of side scroller style it does also on occasion use first person shooter it's often when dan when we're from dan radcliffe's perspective because we get to see his guns he's there are occasionally overlays where it's like the like a righty count and a lefty count appear on screen (laughs) saying like this is how many bullets is in your right hand and left hand which uh there is an actual like numeric display uh on each of the guns that is uh visible in certain shots which is a nice bit of like production design the movie has a ui Mm. (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely a a ride one of the scenes that probably feels the most like a little bit weird to me because of like it's real world like parallels is when he is at he goes to work because he wants a friend to help him get the bug off of his phone uh, and again, he does have guns bolted to his hands, and he is picked on by his boss a lot. At one point, his boss, like, essentially tries to, like, get him out of the office, and he does kind of pull guns on him. Uh, and then, like, somebody else shows up and shoots up the office, which is Nick's. Nick's. But it does feel a little bit weird in a mass shooting culture because, you know, it's just like a regular ass office building. But I do also appreciate that the company he works for is just like barely heightened version of the shitty like millennial workplace where you're working for this like terrible gaming company that is just trying to like addict people and steal money from like kids using their parents credit cards and like the boss tries to be jokey in a way that is definitely also supposed to be intimidating and i'm going to assume instead of benefits they get free beer or something like i hate this kind of work culture and i do appreciate it getting lambasted and shot at in this (laughs) hadley has a nerf gun at his desk yeah yeah it's that kind of workplace which i don't mind fun in the workplace i mind fun enforced in the workplace yeah i just get the sense that this is a terrible terrible place to work and i feel for daniel radcliffe hadley is his like seemingly like one decent work friend who like he has a good relationship with and helps him out here and unfortunately does get caught in the crossfire yeah hadley is shot later he is the the raising of the stakes towards the like end of the second act where he uh 
Miles is trying to track down Richter using Nova's cell phone and it turns out that they have just been baiting him and they toss a body out of the van that they're in and it turns out to be Hadley as like a message to Miles that they know what he like his tricks are and he has to kill Nyx or they're going to kill Nova. It's like their confirmation of the power that they have over him. But in the end, it all works out. And Daniel Radcliffe decides to go try to stop the international spread of schism because he got a printout of all of the locations they're starting up in. Because in the end, the real villain is franchising. <laughs> also, just like the internet, they make a point. He makes a point of like, you could have stopped all of this as there's like 10 million concurrent viewers, it's like, you could have stopped this. You could have just not watched and this thing would have just fallen apart. But the internet, being the internet, enjoys other people's suffering and nothing actually really changed other than that he is one dude with two pistols trying to take out a terrible, terrible evil franchise. Yeah, there's certainly a level to this movie where it is trying to talk about the way that abstracting human beings with things like the internet can lead us to dehumanize people. I don't know how successful that message is when the proxy by which it's talking about it is this very over-the-top gory but still framed as like fun kind of action climax. It's got the problem of you can't make an anti-war movie because you're always going to glamorize war by making the movie, which I don't actually agree with that sentiment, but it is true in a lot of cases where it's hard to say, well, you're a bad person for enjoying watching violence when you just made an intentionally very enjoyable violent movie. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a variation of like uh, the, the paradox of satire. I also think it is easy to feel very preachy with this whole being on the internet is like making you a bad person thing. I don't think this movie feels very preachy because it's very much about a specific segment of the internet to me. It feels because Miles is the reason Miles got pulled into this is because he was trolling the trolls. I think part of what this movie is saying is just don't do that. Just don't. Yeah. Just don't. Like You're you don't encouraging have to keep them. giving these people like attention and respect and a platform if you just just try not to like do that. Like somebody needs to go in and stop it. That that not that nobody needs to pay attention to it, but giving them what they want isn't the solution to the problem. Yeah. And what they want is your eyeballs and your attention and your anger on a certain level. Just go kill the person in charge. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting that such a video game-fueled movie was uh, also so anti-trolling because, you know, gamers be that way (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) It was kind of funny. There was a moment when they finally get to see the comments on Nick's and Miles's fight. And he's like, this is worse than the YouTube comments section. And then as he keeps scrolling, he's like, no, no, it's about the same. Yeah. It's aware that the internet is a gross, gross place, and that it also kind of need not be. Yeah. Uh, And I think it does that about as effectively as any other movie that's tried to talk about this. It's not an easy thing to talk about. Um, 
And I think it's more enjoyable as it is like a fun entertainment piece than it is a moral story. But I think yeah. it, it gets its moral across fine, uh, especially in the form of a character arc for the main character. Do we have any final thoughts? Did you do research, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, I read up a little bit on this. It's pretty new, so there isn't as much written about it. The director, this is his second feature. He actually got his start as a VFX artist working for Weta Digital. That tracks. Uh, which makes sense. That's where a lot of people in the New Zealand film industry got their start. Uh, his first movie was called Deathgasm. Uh, and it's a oh boy movie about a teenage metalhead whose only friends are nerds who meets a bunch of people who he starts a band with called Deathgasm, and I think it turns into like they're trying to summon a demon or something. I just looked it up, and there's like a guy with lightning coming out of his eyes. Yeah, it, he is very much that kind of director where it's like over the top genre pieces that kind of excel to the point of uh exaggerated like self-parody um yeah i don't know if there's much else i can say about this movie it didn't get very good critical reviews which is something that i wasn't expecting it's got like a 53 percent on rotten tomatoes oh wow it's not the kind of movie that really appeals to most critics to be fair yeah it yeah. is it is pretty niche i think with its presentation it is what it is what it is I recommend it if you are into this kind of like high-paced action stuff. If you don't have a propensity for gore or if you aren't interested in that kind of thing, it isn't worth your time for any other reason. But like if you enjoy these kind of movies, it's a good example of them and I quite enjoyed my time with it. Ratings, ratings, ratings. Besides fucking R because this is definitely one of those. <laughs> I give this two guns up. I give this... Two fluffy tiger slippers soaked in the blood of my enemies. And I give this a Samara weaving. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. This has been Video Game the Movie the Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Kenzie Phoenix. And you can find me on Twitter at Bert Nerd Tram. You can find me on Twitter at Conwell underscore Alex or on Facebook at Alex Conwell Creative. You can also find the three of us on Dice Weave, a podcast about doing hijinks in space and like maybe fighting capitalism or just being crushed by it unclear and you can find the show on twitter at vgtm podcast we post our new episodes there every two weeks and that will be our show bye don't forget to save